Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And welcome to episode 369 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is September 25th. It's Sunday evening in our normal time slot. And I'm joined, as I often am, by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Bear down. <laughs> it's a, uh, it is a good time of year for sports fans. And uh, I feel like every, every time I look at the calendar, I can't believe it's the end of September. Like it, it feels like truly yesterday we were getting together for those preseason preview and predictions podcasts. And here we are. There's about 10 days left in the season. A couple of big, just kind of like gritty wins almost for the Braves this weekend to keep them in the race and uh, a lot of good stuff to dig into. So uh, always, uh, always good to do one of these with you, Brad. Yeah, it's been a wild weekend. Uh, Somehow both of our NFL teams won football games today. Uh, Scott is a Colts fan. If you're a new listener to the podcast, I am a, of course, a long-suffering Atlanta Falcons fan, but uh, plenty to discuss, as you said, and we should say at the top of the show, I'm sure we do have some new listeners. It's that time of year where people are kind of jumping on in a way that maybe they aren't in you know, July. Um, we should plug the podcast. So this is the flagship uh, show of this podcast, what is now a podcast network, I should say, um, usually hosted by a combination of myself and Scott and Eric Cole. We have four shows on the same feed. We have the podcast to be named later with Chris Willis, Stephen Tolbert. We have Road to Atlanta on the minor league side with Eric and friends. And then Sean Coleman hosts the Daily Hammer four or five times a week, carrying a heavy load for us in a sort of bite-sized fashion. So please subscribe to the podcast. We really do appreciate that. We'll be here the entire way through the playoffs and all that fun stuff. So keep it locked. It's a good time to also say that the Braves clinched the playoffs this week. Now, we, we've known for a long time they were going to the playoffs in all likelihood, but it is now official despite some up and down uh, trials and tribulations this week. They had a weird three-game losing streak in the middle. But, Scott, we should just stop and say the Braves have 95 wins already this season with nine games to go, and they've already clinched the playoffs spot, which is a pretty nice thing to be. Yeah, it's, um, it's almost kind of flying under the radar a little bit because – Naturally, the first goal that the Braves set out for every single year is to win the National League East, <clears throat> excuse me, the East. And we'll see if that happens. But yeah, man, like this run they've been on since June 1st has been so much fun to watch. Um, as we know, 10 and a half games is a big deficit to overcome. But, you know, even with the ups and downs, especially in the last few weeks, the team is playing about 500 ball um, over this stretch. But at the same time, like they clinched a postseason berth for the fifth year in a row on Tuesday night. The team didn't really celebrate. They had a day game the next, uh, the following day. So it kind of just flew under the radar. And of course, whenever you are the defending 
World Series champions. Maybe you aren't going to necessarily go crazy and and celebrate a postseason berth for the fifth year in a row. But I, I think it was overlooked a little bit. Naturally, uh, everybody wants to win the East. Everybody wants to overtake the Mets. Uh, but we are talking about a team that will probably win 100 games. They might fall a game or two short. But I think the most wins the Braves have uh, this century in a season is 97, which was done in 2019. Um, you know, they're, they're probably going to pass that. I would sure hope so. And that's a remarkable thing for a baseball club to do, especially with some of the things that that frankly just have not gone right this year. I have to give you the mild correction to say before people yell at us that the Braves did win 101 games this century, 2003. But uh, yeah. it's, two de- it's still two decades. It's still two, two decades ago, Scott. So you were yeah. you were close. We're, we're almost there. Yeah, um, I was like 14 years old. Give me a. You're a young man. Yeah, you're a young man, Scott. Uh, No, yeah, obviously we're not going to do the whole Sunshine Rainbows thing the entire way on the podcast, but uh, it just feels like there's a lot of like angst right now for whatever reason. And I guess it's just what you said. They people wanted to win the division. They're used to winning the division. I get that. They've won four in a row, and right now they're the underdog to do it again. But this has been a very, very good baseball team this year for all the frustrations. And a lot has gone wrong. A lot has gone right. And we'll get into all of that as we always do. But, yeah, I mean, a four and three week, still positive despite the three-game losing streak in the middle. And with nine games to play for the Braves and eight games to play for the Mets, they are only a game and a half back and still very much alive. Uh, And we'll touch on that stuff in a moment. Uh, Unfortunately, before we dive into the games, we have some injury news to touch on at the top of the show, and it's big enough where we usually hold that kind of smaller, you know, nuts and bolts news stuff to later on. But this is more of a big picture one because it might be costly in a playoff setting and beyond. Uh, Spencer Strider is probably done for the regular season at this point. He is now on the IL with an oblique issue. The earliest he could possibly come off the IL is the final day of the season, and it seems unlikely to me that he would actually come off that day. So uh, that's a little bit of a tricky one. You know, they scratched him this week and we all kind of did the, okay, is this, is this a real injury or are they trying to limit his innings or what's going on here? And it's an oblique. Obliques are very tricky. Uh, it's kind of a wait and see thing. And then a couple of days later, he reportedly had some discomfort during a side session on Friday. It was reported by Bar- Mark Bowman that the Braves are, quote, hopeful the strain could heal over the next couple of weeks, end quote. That's not a great thing to be happening for you in late September because a couple of weeks puts you in the middle of the playoffs. Um, he is, again, eligible to come off the IL in uh, you know, a week and a half or so, but that's not great for a guy who has been absolutely fantastic this year. You know, Top two, obviously, contender for Rookie of the Year. One of the 10 best pitchers in baseball on a per-inning basis this season. That's how good Strider has been. And, I mean, I don't know what else to even add here, Scott, just to say that, like, we don't know much beyond what's been reported, but an oblique thing that has you know not a clear timeline for return could impact the Braves in the playoffs and obviously not the way you want to see Strider's season potentially get derailed. Yeah, it's concerning. I mean, I think we all – This is prime opportunities for teams to give guys a couple of days off. As we just outlined, the Braves are in the playoffs one way or another. So uh, maybe at at first it was like, okay, they're just giving him a few days. No problem. This is, of course, the first time that Strider has done this over a full big league season. And then anytime it's an oblique of all things, too, that's a very tricky injury. The timing is, is really not ideal Um, especially when you think about his dominant stuff and the way that he could just completely shut down a lineup. He is not somebody who relies on ground balls or, or soft contact to get out of jams Uh, with the big time strikeout stuff. He has, I think that just plays up so much more this time of year and going into October 
Um, the ability to not even let teams put the ball in play. Uh, you know, we'll see how uh, how he recovers over the next ten days or so. Um, you know, if the Braves are in the wild card, I guess the the positive or the upswing is that they do have three other very good starting pitchers. Uh, they could even go into the bullpen and do a bullpen game if it called for it. Um, and, and if you can win the East, the biggest, I think, benefit of that is you do get that extra week of rest. Uh, but one way or another, you want Spencer Strider back as quickly as possible. Hopefully it's not going to be a long-term thing. It would really, really hurt if it's something that's going to bother him for, you know, if we're talking about over the next month, that would be a real blow. And we'll see. He's a young kid. He's in great shape, hopefully with some treatment and all that. Uh, it's able to calm down. Yeah, for as much as we all hope this is not going to be the case, if this was a three-week injury, much less four weeks, the season could be over by the time he's back. That is very much a possibility. No one is projecting that necessarily, but it's definitely on the table as a potential outcome here. And uh, by the way, we'll come back to this, but uh, I did catch you saying the Braves still had three good starting pitchers, and people are going to get really mad about that because Charlie Morton is uh, <laughs> not popular with Braves fans uh, these days, apparently. So we'll come back to that. And, and yeah. I just want to note that just as a, a little Easter egg for later on. But uh, yeah, we assume it's going to be a combination of Bryce Elder and Kyle Muller in Strider's stead. We'll come back to that later on. Elder actually pitched pretty well this week and has done well against, especially against like the softer competition. Elder has held his own very well, which just gives them a little bit of depth. But big picture in the playoffs, um, even if you put Morton in the safer category that I do, um, they still only have three guys now that are that are safe versus where we all were thinking they were they were going to have this top four with Morton as the, as the four. Now he sort of slides up to the three until Strider is back. And you know, again, fingers crossed. You're hoping he can go in the in the in the wild card series if they end up there and NLDS, etc. And uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, We'll leave it there for now. Come back to the pitching stuff later on in the show. One more injury thing that's unfortunate, a little bit less impact for this year, of course, but still uh, not great is that Mike Soroka is officially done for the season with an elbow issue of some sort. He has no structural damage, but they've already said he's going to be out for the year. Obviously it's so late now he was not going to probably pitch this year. I know we've said that a few different times. There were still Braves fans that I was seeing that were hoping and holding out hope that he might pitch in the playoffs and this stuff. And that was never going to happen in my mind, but all eyes now on Soroka are for next year. They have an arbitration decision to make there, a tender decision. Uh, obviously, he has not pitched in quite some time. So if you wanted to be super cold-hearted, you could say, look, he might be a non-tender candidate. I can't imagine they're going to – maybe they, 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 they probably don't want to do that, let's just say. They would love to have Mike around. Um, I do think if he gets hurt later on or if, they, if he just can't pitch, that's a possibility. But we're all rooting for Mike Soroka. I want to be very clear about that. And this is more of a 23 thing than a 22 thing with regard to uh, the fallout here. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is when we look back on this season, Mike was able to return to the mound. And we're talking about an unprecedented injury, just really for athletes in general, with the double Achilles tear. I mean, this is not common. This is not Tommy John, where there's like an 80% success rate of coming back, right? Like, uh, you know, the double Achilles tear, um, he had gone almost three calendar years since he had thrown consecutively. Uh, so the fact that he was able to make some starts in the minor leagues, I mean, it would have been like a storybook ending for him to ultimately get to Atlanta this year. Um, but that would have been a lot to ask of him. And um, you noted he's under uh, contract for 2023 via arbitration. 
I would sure think they would at least tender Mike a contract if he were to play out the full year. It's only going to be for like $4 million. And if you assume that the team is going to be operating on a 190 or $200 million budget, um, that that's really not that much money. And um, as we know, if, if he shows up in the spring and God forbid he's hurt or just doesn't have it, you can always cut ties then. And hopefully this was just another step in Mike's recovery. I think I speak for, I mean, literally everyone when we say that we want to see him in the rotation in Atlanta next year. And if he can get through this year with, you know, physically feeling well, other than just some soreness in the elbow, which was frankly probably to be expected just considering the layoff that he had. Um, it's not, never great anytime you have a pitcher with elbow soreness, but structurally nothing was wrong, which was the biggest thing. And hopefully Mike's able to to get some work in this offseason, this winter, and then come back stronger than ever in the spring. That would be the hope, and he's still a young guy and uh, obviously a lot of talent there, but we'll come back to that if we need to across the offseason. But uh, at least uh, any theoretical possibility of him back now is now closed for this season anyway. Um, all right, Scott, before we get to the games, and there's plenty to discuss, and then, of course, the uh, at the end of the show, we'll look ahead to this week and the standings and all that fun stuff. Before we get to all that, though, a word from our sponsors on the show. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Scott, let us dive into, again, the weird four and three week with two wins, three losses, and two more wins in that order. We'll sort of fly through the early week stuff because it's been a while now, but they win on Monday and Tuesday against the Nationals. At that point, by the way, Tuesday's game was their fifth straight win overall, and that was also when they clinched the playoff berth officially. Um, they had won nine games in a row and 15 out of 16 against the NL East at that point, which is really nice to kind of dominate your uh, your division mates in that way. Uh, Morton had nine strikeouts in that out in that game. There was a very questionable uh, Von Grissom throw near the end of that one. He has cooled off considerably, just to want to say that out loud. Um, but, you know, all that stuff. And they end up winning despite sort of a weird bunt exhibition by the Nationals on Tuesday night. It's been a few days now. That was a bizarre end to that, to, to that baseball game in general. I was still traveling and I was like catching up and I'm like, wait, that's the first thing I saw was basically what was going on on Tuesday. And I don't even know what to say about that. Obviously, Monday's game was more straight ahead and a 5-2 victory. But did you have thoughts on uh, on the Nationals just get going going bug crazy at the end of Tuesday's game and making it a little bit uh, dangerous down the, down the stretch? Yeah, I was going to say, I think my only takeaway, I was actually – uh, traveling and listening uh, to the radio feed in the ninth inning on Tuesday night. And somebody in the radio booth said, 
I think this is the first time I've seen a major league team bunt three times in a row since I was like six years old. It's, uh, it, it, it just never happens. It was absolutely crazy to watch in real time. It, yeah. it, it was, it was working for them, which is why they did it, I guess, but it was very strange. Yeah. I mean, right. Like I know there was some, uh, anger or frustration with Kenley and it's like, look, man, like they just dropped a couple of buns. Um, thank God the Braves didn't end up coughing up that lead to lose on a couple of bunts. And then uh, Luke Voigt just missed a, yep. I think a go ahead home run it just before the warning track. So would have been a frustrating one, but thankfully you mentioned they win Monday and Tuesday, really the, the theme of the Braves over this five-year run is they have been so good against the national league East. It's just such an advantage when you you're able to take uh, care of business against your division, <clears throat> excuse me, the divisional opponents. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, it was good to win those two because, as we know, the Wednesday finale was not great, and then that led into some frustrations in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's uh, to say the least. So Wednesday was the day that Strider got, stri- got scratched, so things already started off a little bit shaky there. It was a day game, and uh, the day game Braves are still uh, are still scuffling. I believe you pulled this number for me here. Uh, the Braves, I believe, as of as of that as of that day, were twenty two and twenty six in day games. That's just an insane number when they were seventy one and thirty in night games at the end of, at the end of the day on Wednesday. Um, I heard this on Effectively Wild with uh, Ben Lindbergh and Meg Rowley. They Ben looked it up, and it is one of the the Braves this year have one of the ten biggest splits between overall win percentage and day game win percentage in MLB history right now. Uh, I think there's not like a lot of you can ch- chalk that up to people always ask us like why that is or if there's any reason. I think like studies would tell you that it's probably just randomness. I say probably I don't I don't know that to be sure, but anytime you have one of the top 10 biggest anythings in the history of baseball, it is usually a pretty wild split. And that's how bad the Braves have been in day games compared to their overall performance. Because again, this is on a, this is a team that's on a hundred word pace and they are sub 500 in day games still, even if you count the, uh, the win today, which kind of ended in the evening time, still a day game today, you know, it went so long as the rain delay. Um, even if you throw that one in, they're still below 500 for the season uh, in day games. It's just a absolutely wild thing. Yeah. I mean, like, you had those numbers. It's it's the difference in day games. They are a 74-win team over a full 162-game season. 74 wins during the daytime versus 114 win days <laughs> in <laughs> night games, which would be like the third best record of any team this century in, in a regular season. So just, just one of those things. I, I don't know if anyone has the solution as to why the Braves cannot win in day games. I would love to hear it. Um, yeah, just a, a frustrating loss on Wednesday. I mean, they were out to a two nothing lead early. Bryce Elder has done um, a nice job. Uh, yep. He's that I think the Braves have been very selective and smart giving him the ball. I think his first two game against Miami, which is like a functioning triple A team right now at this point. And then the Nationals are not great either. Um, but just a frustrating game, especially they had some, the Braves had some real opportunities late, some bad base running, just some untimely oh. hitting really. I mean, it was a stretch of Wednesday through Friday where I think they had like one hit with runners in scoring position, despite like 20 plate appearances. Like that that's the stuff that, uh, when you look back on a season, it's like, man, that was, that was where they lost the division or whatever it was. Um, just, just a frustrating game on Wednesday and, um, but yeah, the, the day game stuff, I, I don't know, man, just, just weird. Yeah. And then we'll get into Thursday and Friday in a second. It was, I was tempted to say the same thing you did and you're not wrong about that three game sample. You know, they scored a total of three runs 
at one point, I think they had one extra base hit in like 23 innings or something crazy like that. It was just, it was singles or nothing. And uh, I, I was just pointing out to people kind of offline and in replies, like that might've felt like the time when they lost the division in some ways, because the, uh, all the division odds kind of went in the tank during that stretch. I would just, I would just always say this. They lost the division. If they, if they lose the division, I should say, if they would have lost the division in April and May, Th- that's when they actually lost the division <laughs> because yeah, they had yeah. the, all they had, because they had the awful start, but I understand it was one of those things where uh, it was so frustrating. And the base running thing that you mentioned, uh, Wash, who hates to stop anyone, had probably the latest stop sign I've ever seen to Austin Riley in the eighth inning on Wednesday, and that led to Contreras, who should have had his head up probably as well. He gets thrown out between second and third. Just one of those things that just, it just it just can't happen. It was it was bad all around. Bad for Wash, bad for Riley, bad for Contreras, bad for everybody, and uh, that was the end of that game effectively. Uh, Thursday they didn't score at all. Uh, that was the one where I don't do this a lot, especially on the podcast. That was some of the worst home plate umpiring I've ever seen on Thursday. Like, I mean, not quite Eric Gregg level in terms of like the uh, the bias factor. And it wasn't like one sided; it was bad on both sides. But the worst call of the night was probably the strike call against Grossman with two out in the ninth. That would have been a walk to keep the Braves alive in a one run game. And it was not even remotely close to the strike zone. Um, but in a one, and again, it was a ninth inning game. It's one nothing. And that sort of magnifies it. But uh, besides the pitching staff doing their job with Max Free, Dylan Lee and AJ Minter, Allowing only one run through eight innings, you're supposed to win those games when your pitching staff does that for you. But they just could not score, and uh, home plate umpiring was a, a theme on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, if anyone isn't familiar with it, there is a great. It's a Twitter account, and now it's a website. UmpireScorecards.com. Um, they track and evaluate home plate umpires every single game of the season. Uh, yeah, the guy behind home plate <clears throat> on Thursday night. I think was the second worst in terms of balls and strike accuracy out of 140 umpires or something crazy. Um, He, I mean, it was abysmal. It's it's just a tough game to lose, especially when you have the bad taste in your mouth from Wednesday's loss. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think you and I, Brad, maybe this was Saturday when you and I were trying to figure out when we were going to record this podcast, but it felt like the, the division lead and, you know, any chance the Braves had was starting to slip away. Thankfully, they, you know, they, they grinded out two wins over the weekend and are, are still very much in this thing. But yeah, that was a Thursday night I thought was one of the more frustrating losses this team has had in months. That was a rough one for sure. And then Friday, they just get blown out. I mean, that was, if you were trying to circle the game last week that had the worst chance of winning it on paper, it was Friday because it was Odorizzi against Aaron Nola. That's about as rough as it gets for this Braves team. Um, Ronnie, Ronald Acuna missed the second game in a row, by the way. He missed four in a row and they came back today. We'll come back to that in a second. But they only scored three runs, as I mentioned, that during the entire losing streak. Odorizzi got knocked around, erasing any goodwill that he might have found last week. Um, I, of course, I thought it was prescient that he had his best start in a while when I was not on the podcast last week. I couldn't really uh, take any enjoyment from that, Scott. I know you and Eric probably made fun of me yeah, along we the way. Gave you, no, we gave you a shout out and said that he's. Well, that's good. Like, you were at the team shop buying a Jake Odorizzi jersey. I'm wearing it right now. I wish this is a video medium. I actually have my Odorizzi jersey on. Uh, but no, it's obviously he was bad. Like there's this notion that like, I'm like going to defend him every time. He was terrible. He was. It's it's not like anything I'm going to say is going to make it any better. He was not good on Friday. Um, of course, they still didn't score. It wouldn't have really mattered much. Um, in fact, the microcosm of that game, uh, if you want to say it was not Odorizzi, it was probably the fact that Orlando Arcia made his first on-field appearance in more than a month, and he was pitching at the end of the game on Friday. He had not played or hit in a long, long time, and he's suddenly pitching. That's uh, not usually good when your middle infielder is pitching. So, No, no, bad game, bad loss. Um, um, 
Oh, one, one more thing there, by the way, on Friday, uh, you wrote this uh, down as well. Matt, Matt Olson, it's, it, it's been tough for Matt Olson. We've kind of acknowledged that a few times on the show. He finally got a day off on Saturday for the first time all season long. Again, the entire season. First time he did not play was Saturday. And uh, coming into Sunday, so post day off, post Friday, he had a slugging percentage. I want to say this again, a slugging percentage of 145 in a 24 game sample, basically a month of baseball. And he slugged 145. He had a negative WRC plus coming into today. Uh, today, he wasn't fantastic either, but he, he did have an extra base hit. Maybe that's something for Matt Olson. He's clearly tinkering with his, uh, with his stance, with his approach, all of this stuff, but he is lost in the sauce and it got so bad to where Obviously, they didn't want to sit him. They haven't sat him the entire season. So it, it was like more of a desperation thing. But that was the, the first thing that we want to hit on for Saturday, basically, was that Olsen was so bad for so long. They, they were like, all right, we'll, we'll take one more shot at this and just give him a day off. Yeah. No, it's um, – Matt Olsen has been swinging at the invisible baseball for like a month now. And it's it's tough to watch. I mean, he – from the little bits that we have seen from Matt, he is a very level-headed – calm he doesn't show much emotion um you know he he is visibly frustrated and i think it was the first time i think he struck out uh maybe with a couple of runners on on friday night and struck out did not look good doing so and like slammed his bat and i yeah. think that was the first time all year we have seen uh matt olson like visibly frustrated at an outcome um yeah he's he's struggling I think right now the book to get Matt out is fastballs up in the zone and then breaking stuff down. I mean, that that's not exclusive to him. A lot of guys struggle, especially lefties struggle up in the zone. Um, you know, maybe I think somebody pointed out, it seemed like he did move uh, his, his hands a little bit after yep. the day off. Maybe that, that helps a little bit. Uh, you know, Matt Olson's a good hitter. I know I, I pointed out I, I got to stop doing it because anytime I <laughs> even think of comparing Matt to Freddie Freeman, like, no, it's it's justified you know. to, to to defend you. Listen, uh, yeah. we have not done that a ton on the show on purpose because, like, look, it's 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 the past is the past, but especially when Olsen's doing, and we're not trying to pile on like Matt Olson went to my high school. Like, I'm not trying to pile on Matt Olson, but like, it's undeniable how good Freddie has been this year in a new spot in a new stop. And while Olsen's numbers for the season do not look terrible, they don't like, he still has 28 home runs. He's still been an above average hitter when you are this bad for a month. And the guy who you were replacing has been like a top five MVP candidate. That's not going to go over well locally. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are or who's, who, who's involved. So like, we could say that, and I still believe Matt Olson's going to be really good for several years, but it doesn't look good at the moment. That that swap, let's just say. Yeah, it's it's fair to say, and we can move on because I can already. We should move see on. It's fine. The tweets flowing in, right? Like it's been the last month has spoiled what was otherwise a really solid first yeah, year. Yeah, it, it, it was fine until then. Yeah, and if the slump came from the middle of May to the middle of June, would people care as much? No, of course not. If Matt was slow out of the gate and then just crushing, especially later on in the year when the games have a bigger, more important meaning, it's it's a different story. Um, hopefully Matt's able to get going. He has you know a week and a half left in the regular season. And then again, as we know, man, especially when you're talking about a team that's been in the playoffs now five years in a row, like seasons ultimately get evaluated based on how you finish in October. Uh, hopefully Matt's able to come through again. He seems like a really good dude. Um, you know, I, we are all rooting for Matt Olson. <laughs> yes. Um, but it is very fair to say that he has been 
like horrendously bad for a, a month now. For sure. And I think that that does cloud a little bit too much his season long stuff. Cause like even even with you know, you could say that he wasn't performing quite at the level that you would have might have projected, but on the morning, I think it was like August 28th, he was slugging 500 for the season. It wasn't like he had been bad at that point. He'd been pretty good, not as good as he was last year in Oakland, not as good as Freddie's been, but he had been doing a totally solid job and no one, no one was like panicking a month ago. Now they're panicking and I get it, but I wouldn't be panicking long term, but he does have to find it. I mean, that's the thing. Um, he's going to get a lot of heat if it doesn't get better in a hurry, especially when it comes to October. So we'll circle back to this, but I want to at least point that out because it's been really bad. He, 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 had, to, he had a double today. Maybe that's going to get him started, but we'll see. Um, So on that day off, by the way, on Saturday, his first day off of the season, they ended up with a lineup that included Austin Riley at first base for the first time in a year. Um, Orlando Garcia playing third base, Marcelo Zuna in left field and hitting fifth and both catchers in the lineup because Acuna was out as well. That was about as wild of a lineup as you will see on September 24th for a competitive team that's trying to win. Uh, Riley made two errors at first base. Um, that was interesting. Uh, I mean, they won the game, but it was uh, on paper. It was like, wait, this is the lineup they're using on September 24th in a game they have to win. Um, it wasn't anybody's fault. I mean, obviously you understand the Olsen day off. You understand Ronnie was still hampered, but uh, just a wild thing to wake up to or see on that Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, again, we we talked about this a little while ago, but between that lineup and the Mets playing Oakland with Jacob Degrom on the mound, and they were winning, <laughs> and they were winning three nothing, like fifteen pitches into the game, it was like, man, that this might be it. And again, the Braves are in the playoffs; they have clinched a playoff spot. They're going to play in October, one way or another. But it was like, you know, maybe this is it. You know, you lose this one. Uh, then it would be three and a half back, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the Braves grinded it out. The offense finally came alive. Uh, Bill Contreras, 20 home runs. Uh, Michael Harris, his 19th home run. I mean, that was big. The offense finally woke up. Um, and then, you know, Kyle Wright, it's, it's never necessarily like sexy. Like he's never going to go out there and do what Spencer Strider does and strike out 15 batters. But he was perfectly good enough. He took a no hitter into the sixth inning and uh, the Braves held on 20 wins for Kyle Wright, which is crazy. I mean, even I know that the pitcher win over the years has been, I think devalued a bit because it's a team stat and blah, 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 blah. But like Kyle Wright, man, 20 wins, even as the, uh, the resident believer in Kyle on the podcast, I'm not sure I had him winning 20 this year at any point. Yeah, I don't think anybody would have. And, you know, I, I definitely have poked fun at pitcher wins and we'll continue probably to do that. But the fact that he's leading the National League by three wins, um, it, it's hard to do. It's hard to win 20 games if you're bad. And he's not been bad, obviously. But it's that's one of those things where like, yes, there are there's lots of noise involved in pitcher wins. And that's why we kind of don't, we kind of ignore them. But you still have to be you still have to be good and on the mound a lot and pitching a lot of innings and just be effective. And he's he's done that. I think as of coming into today, he is tied for 15th. Yeah, tied for 15th in the National League among starting pitchers in Fangraph's war. Like he's been a top 20 starter in the National League this year. And that is a home run, grand slam, however you want to describe it. Kyle Wright's been awesome. And uh, that's uh, a victory lap for you, my friend. Enjoy that. Um, <laughs> which we've done a few times, but it's uh, the first time since Russ Ortiz. I mean, we're old enough to remember Russ Ortiz, but I know I know there are people listening to this podcast that don't remember don't remember that at all, and that's that, that's that's how long it's been. It's been 19 years. So, shout out Russ Ortiz. I hope I think Russ. Um, I want to say that Russ was at one of those like alumni Sunday 
signings that the Braves do. Uh, maybe I'm, sure I'm mixing them up, but yeah, I mean he's. Oh, he's by, a- by the way, to, uh, actually to the point we just made about pitcher wins, uh, I want I'm going to ask you this fun trivia question. I want you to guess a few things for me about Russ Ortiz's 20, 2003 season. You ready for this? I'm ready. Okay, Russ Ortiz won 21 games 2003. What was Russ? What, what was Russ Ortiz's ERA in 2003? Ooh, like 3.8. Wow, you nailed that. 3.81 for Russell Ortiz. Uh, oh, and this is the cra- this is the craziest one. This is I'm not gonna make you guess this, but this, this is the strikeout to walk ratio for Russ Ortiz. He struck out 6.3 per nine and walked 4.3 per nine. Oh my god. In a 21 win season. So that's amazing. And he was not, let's just say Russell, he was good that year. He was not a 21 pitcher, a 21 win get pitcher. So that's kind of a good example of what pitcher wins can do for you. But hey. Kyle Wright's been better than that. Let's just say, let's just say that right now. He's been better than Russ Ortiz was. Different era, by the way. 2003 is a different era. You could pitch differently. Yes. Obviously, that's more of an offensive environment. A lot of steroid use back then, et cetera. But anyway, we're back, we're back on task now. But I, yeah, to win that, to win that game Saturday, like you said, like it felt like they were really wavering. I posted the division odds on my Twitter feed that morning. And the Braves were down to like 10 or 11% to win the division, especially when you factored in that DeGrom was pitching for the Mets, et cetera. For the Braves to win that game on Saturday and the Mets to lose, that was a a big swing to make things interesting again. And then uh, Sunday, as we get into today's game, um, they won in 11 innings. It was like a six and a half hour game because of the rain delay in the middle. Uh, Lots of weirdness. Charlie Morton was not good. Uh, Also, I will point out, I think, I think, in fact, I know you did, as well, I don't understand Brian Snicker throwing him out there for the third time through the order. Uh, that's a that's a Snicker thing that he does, but it was very obvious to everyone, including me, who's been defending Charlie Morton recently, that he had nothing in this game. He did not have his best stuff, and he just kept staying out there. And uh, a lot of six runs, six runs overall. They were losing when he left the game, and uh, a lot of frustration at that point in time. We'll get we'll get into sort of the comeback later on, but uh, what did you make of that? Because clearly Morton has not been pitching his absolute best recently, and uh, the takes were flying at that point. <laughs> the takes were flying. Um, you know, Charlie Morton is an interesting case study. Um, I think there's a segment of the fan base who thinks he like completely sucks. Oh yes. Charlie Morton. They, Charlie appeared, Morton. they appeared today. <laughs> Some yes. people were all over the place today. Yes. And let's be clear, man. Like Charlie Morton does not suck. Now it's been a weird year for him. Um, he he's given up at least twice as many home runs as he has given up in like any other season in his entire 18 year career. Like it's very weird. Um, He's also had the kind of funny looking back on it, but like the hit by batter or hit by pitch issues that he's had. Um, It seems like every, every game he's out there. um, If he can limit the home run ball, he's been super effective, Uh, but more times than not, he, he has not. And the fact is that we are at the end of September and Charlie Morton has an ERA of like 4.3. That that's not terrible. That's not great. It's it's pretty average, I would imagine. Maybe a little bit worse than average, at least among the qualified starters. Uh, but he's being paid big money. He was very very good last year for the Braves. So, is it fair to say that he has been um, a little shaky at times, a little up and down? Sure. Uh, but this idea that like Charlie Morton is this bum and they they need to leave him off the playoff roster and all this nonsense that was out there today, like there there's no chance. He, no. I mean, all things equal, uh, you know, do you trust Charlie Morton? Do you trust Kyle Wright more in a must win game seven, win or go home? 
I, you know, I, I guess I would lean towards Kyle Wright by a nose, but even then it's, it's not nearly to the point of, of some of the stuff that was going on today with Charlie. Yeah. And we're not going to do a half hour on Morton. We probably could at the moment. Um, I know I was going through a lot of numbers and I, I did this. Yes. It wasn't even while I was pitching today. I, I sent out a tweet yesterday because I had seen some stuff about Morton and I was like, he was really bad in April. People have maybe forgotten. Like that's part of the reason why his numbers are so bad. Like he was terrible. The first like four starts of the season, five starts of the season. And those count. I mean, they all count, but since then he's been perfectly fine. Like an ERA in the mid threes, like, you know, today he was bad. No question about that. And like you said, he's had, he basically has like a league average ERA, but his professional, his peripherals are better than that. Um, his strikeouts are through the roof. He's the first pitcher for the Braves to have two strikeouts in the season, back-to-back years since John Smoltz. That's a long time. Um, yeah. I think that to boil it down, you know, no matter what you think about Morton, uh, especially with the strategies we, talk, we talked about earlier, he's going to be a part of the playoff formula for the Braves. And I understand people might not believe too much in him right now, but uh, you know, compared to other four starters, which is what he's been this year, that's a guy that you would like to have on your roster. And yeah, he's making $20 million. And that's part of it too. I'm sure part of the backlash is that he's making a lot of money, but he's been worth 15 million this year, something like that. I looked it up on Fangraphs today. It was around $15 million for the season. And like, yeah, could he, I'm sure the Braves would like to, for him to be better than he's been. I think last year he was obviously much better than this. So I get it on some level, but it, it's kind of the, it's very different in some ways, but also very similar in some ways to what I've said about Odorizzi in the past. It's like, I'm just not going to react to small sample sizes in the way that people do. It's just kind of my makeup in some ways. And I don't think Charlie Morton is the guy that gave up six runs today, generally speaking. I think he's better than that. And we'll see. Uh, if he pitches bad again against the Mets, it's going to be even worse. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. The reaction will be even worse. And I totally get that. And look, we're at that point of the year now where small sample sizes is all that people care about. And I, and I do understand that because like it's all that matters. At some point when you're in the playoffs, it is what it is. But Charlie Morton is still a pretty good pitcher. Is he great? No, he's absolutely not great at this point. Was he great last year at times? Yes, he was. Um, yeah. In the playoffs last year, he had a low threes ERA. Like, that's the good thing about Morton is that I believe uh, the last three postseasons, his ERA is like in the mid twos combined. Like, he's been awesome as a playoff pitcher. So hopefully that guy comes back as well. I do trust him. But, hey, he's also really old. Like, he's the only guy on the team that's older than I am. So, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> like, maybe yeah, he's just and... lost a step. It's, 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 not, it's not like a crazy thing to think about him being 38 and just not being the same guy anymore. I, I yeah. do get that, too. And to, you know, put a bow on this, let's flip the script. Let's say that Kyle Wright had a 4.3 ERA on the season. He had a home run problem problem and he was like perfectly fine as the fourth starter. Like you would take, if Kyle Wright had Charlie Morton's numbers on the whole, you would take that. And oh, if Charlie from, Morton... from six months ago. Yeah. From preseason. If you and I came on this podcast in March and said, and yeah, it just gave Charlie Morton's numbers right now to Kyle Wright. We would have celebrated 100%. Absolutely. No doubt. And if you gave Charlie Morton Kyle Wright's numbers as a 20 game winner. Would have felt fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You go, man, he's been, he's been really good. Well, And that's right? the thing, actually, to take your point even a step further. I mean, Strider coming out of nowhere. And like, I mean, obviously that's, that's a, that's a rich man's problem. But the fact that you came into the season, we would have definitely said Charlie Morton is the number two starter on this team. He's been the number four starter this year, and that's yeah. a great problem to have. But that also allows him a little bit of leeway and that the other three guys are making no money combined. Even Freed's not making much money at this point in time. And yeah. like, yeah, you're paying Morton a lot of money to, just, to just be okay. But like you can do that when your top three guys are making peanuts. Like it is what it is. Yeah. No, it's – I mean, we'll do a whole – for longtime listeners of the podcast, you know that we will do a full – 
retrospective on the season. But again, man, like a lot of things have gone wrong for the Braves this year. And here they are with 95 wins. They're in the playoffs. They're either going to be the two seed or the four seed. And we know this team has played as well as anybody in October the last two years. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Hopefully, it's wild. back to uh, <laughs> it's so wild to, to Morton uh, and Wright. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, go down the list of all the things that haven't gone right for Atlanta this year, uh, and here they are. I mean, they're going to have a chance, as we have said for many years. You get into October and you see what happens. Uh, maybe they get hot for four weeks and win another World Series. Maybe they have five bad days and they're out of the first round, but um, just get in the dance and see what happens. Yeah, we, we should make a list, just a, a running list that's like shareable of all the bad things that have happened in the Braves this year. And it would be a very long list for teams going to win hard oh, yeah. games. It's just, yeah. it is a wild, wild thing. And then you get the positive things like Strider and Harris and everybody else and Mike Kyle Wright or whatever. So lots of positives, lots of negatives. And that's the uh, fun of a long, long, long season. As for... The rest of Sunday, obviously, you know, kind of it was a marathon. We won't go through all of it, but they tie the game on a, on a wild pitch in the eighth, and then they win it in the 11th with Ronald Acuna staying in the game. He came in as a pinch hitter, um, ended up being a RBI single from him, RBI single from Michael Harris, and uh, kudos to Jackson Stevens for uh, holding down the fort in the 10th and the 11th to get the win for the Braves. Um, not, I mean, I don't have much, I don't have much in the way of takes on the game itself beyond just kind of overcoming Morton, but after the three game hiatus from the bats that we talked about, they score 14 runs in the last two games. That is more likely. Yeah. I mean, we've said it a few times now, but those were two really good wins on Saturday and Sunday. They get out to the early lead Saturday. The bullpen did a really nice job hanging on, the Phillies lineup, especially at the top with some of that big time power they have with uh, Schwarber and Hoskins and, and even Harper, though he is pretty clearly not healthy. I mean, the Phillies have a solid top end of their lineup. Uh, bullpen did a tremendous job over the weekend. Uh, you mentioned Jackson Stevens. I mean, I had almost kind of forgotten that Jackson Stevens was out there in the bullpen because he's like the fifth or sixth or maybe even seventh guy out there. And he threw two really good innings, kept the Braves after infamously the Braves did not score in the top of the 10th. And it's like, <laughs> man, are they really like, I think I tweet, I did tweet it. I was like, man, are we really going to have like the season go down in flames today because of this stupid extra innings rule, but Stevens held it tied in the 10th. And then Atlanta broke through in the 11th, just a tremendous at bat uh, really from both Ronald Acuna Jr. And Michael Harris, uh, especially Harris. Yeah, Harris had a phenomenal at bat. One of the best at bats he's had all year. It's one of those at bats where you watch a player and it's like, man, that is a special talent to be able to slow down the game and really probably the biggest situation or biggest at bat of the day so far. Uh, as we know, you you have to get one run in those extra innings, but if you can get two or three or four, um, your chances are just so much better. Yeah, that was a professional at bat for Michael Harris. That was uh, very impressive in that moment for him. And he's, of course, been uh, an absolute budding star all, all season long. That was a good moment for him as well. All right. With that said, let us take a big picture look now. The Braves are, as we said before, uh, a game and a half back. They have nine games remaining, eight games remaining for the Mets. Uh, 538 is in real time. They have the Braves with a 24% chance to win the division at this point. That was down in the low teens two days ago. So that's come up a lot. That's good to see. Um, we should also mention that because of the division situation, 
Uh, keeping an eye on the on the race for the five seed could be interesting because of the Braves, if they don't win the division, they'll be the four seed as the number one wild card. And they'll be playing, it looks like either the Padres or the Phillies. The Padres are a game and a half up on the Phillies right now for that race. But I know all eyes will be on the on the division until they're not anymore. But I would strongly recommend keeping an eye on the on the race for the five seed because that's the at, the, at this moment, the more likely opponent for the Braves in the first and their first playoff round is going to be either the Padres or the Phillies. And uh, I think the Braves are better than the Phillies and probably better than the Padres as well. But it's one of those things where like, Short series, anything can happen, and uh, scouting your opponent, as we say. Yeah, it's um, it's a fun time of year. Obviously, staying in tune with the Braves. Um, you know, looking ahead this week, three against a very bad Washington Nationals team. I just looked the three starters that the Nationals are going to throw out um, are a combined six and twenty on the season, with a combined ERA above five. So you got to take advantage of that. Yeah, that, that, that's not good. Um, and then, you know, for New York, it, it's uh, I think New York has two in Miami. Um, and then, of course, the series is is next weekend in Atlanta at Truist Braves Mets. Are you flying it's, in? I wish if uh, <laughs> if anybody has a uh, an airline hookup, um, I'd, I'd love to go. Actually, I think uh, someone was saying. I don't remember where, but like tickets are truly sold out. Like well, standing room I mean, is sold out. I, I know you're not. I know you're not here. Like I am. Uh, they've been selling tickets like crazy all year long. We talked about it a few times on the podcast. Like they are shattering attendance records in that bar in that park. And you can only imagine it because everyone's known for what three months now that that was the series of the year. Basically, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- those are, I'm sure you could probably buy them on StubHub, but it's not going to be cheap if you want to get in. Uh, if you want to get into the game, no, you, so yeah, you're going to be looking at like playoff ticket prices on on the secondary market. It's a weekend too. Yeah, I mean, good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Oh, good luck yeah. to you on all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm just going to name because you talked about the pitchers for the Nationals. I want to name them because I will be. I'll be honest. I've only heard of one of the three. Um, the National starters are Corey Abbott, Paulo Espino, and Josiah Gray. Uh, sure, but. <laughs> this is this is where we get into the the decision the Braves have made. In fact, in the last half hour or so, they announced this: the Braves are going to start Bryce Elder, uh, then a TBA slot on Tuesday, and Jake Odorizzi on Wednesday. So basically, what they're kind of doing here, uh, part of this is, is of course because of Strider, but uh, part of what they're doing here is like, okay, guys, if we win these games with our not great starters on the mound, the Mets series becomes enormous and that means we'll have our best guys on the mound in that series the downside is you're putting some some losses back in play a little bit in theory by throwing your worst three starters in this series now you're still better than the nationals but you're on the road and uh you know kyle moeller is the assumption everyone's making for tuesday because he's the tba logical guy he has been scuffling pretty badly in gwinnett he's allowed 12 runs in the last 16 innings across three starts so as soon as he was like starting to seemingly turn the corner uh, from our prospect guys talking about how how good he was looking he's now leveled off again he's really struggling the last couple weeks so that's not great but i mean the braves will still be favored in those games i'd imagine because the nationals are just that bad but I mean, if you told me coming into the year, it'd be Elder, Muller, and plug-in fifth starter type Odorizzi in that series with a lot of stakes, that isn't going to make anybody feel great. No. And, uh, yeah, you would have thought either the Braves had just clinched the division and were right. throwing out guys or, or their, something. Or their way out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something had gone horribly wrong and every possible thing went you know, the opposite way. Um yeah, I mean, they will be, I would sure think they will be favored and 
Look, man, like th- those three starters Washington is throwing out are terrible. Um, Josiah Gray has decent stuff, but again, you, you got to win those games. And, um, you know, the division deficit as we record and as most are listening, it's one and a half back with nine to go for Atlanta, eight to go for New York. So uh, the Braves after Monday night's game, the Mets are off. Almost everybody is off kind of weirdly. So if Atlanta wins, let's hope they be one game back. Um, It's also worth noting as we are talking about the playoffs and standings, I believe unless the Braves sweep New York, the Mets will have the better division record, or I'm sorry, will have the better record heads heads up against Atlanta. Exactly. That is is correct. The Braves have to sweep the Mets to have the tiebreaker. Even if they win two out of three against the Mets, the Mets have the tiebreaker still. They have to sweep them. And because of the new playoff format, maybe this was how it was in previous years. Obviously, the Braves have not tied in a division race in forever. Um, but if if it is tied at the end of the regular season, whoever has the better head-to-head record gets the division, and the of course whoever does not has takes the wild card. So uh, very important to win these games. I mean, every game is going to feel like a must-win. I mean, we're talking about baseball; it's a funny sport, but I, I don't think it's crazy to say that if the Braves want to win the East, every game over these next 10 days is must win. Um, Of course, they don't have to win every game, but there's no, uh, we're going to punt tonight's game and save the bullpen a little bit. Let's try to get them tomorrow. Um, I think it's just going to be such a big advantage if you can get to that number two seed with the week off, especially not having Strider healthy um, and and just the way we've outlined the way the playoff bracket is going to shake out. Uh, it's just such a big advantage if they can uh, win the division this year. Yeah, everyone's going to focus on the Mets series, as they should. But, uh, you know, even with Elder, probably Moeller, and Odorizzi, they need to at least win two or three in Washington. They they really do need to do that. Obviously, the 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 big way to swing the division is to sweep the Mets, and we all know that. Um, but you can't project a sweep. I know we've said that a million times in the pocket. I know I've said it, you've said it, Eric said it. Um, it's possible they do that, especially at home. But you can't bank on sweeping the Mets, especially because the Mets – as of this moment, while the Braves have not announced their probables, neither of the Mets, the assumption is going to be, based on the way that they've set things up, is that the Mets are going to be throwing Chris Bassett, Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer in those games. Now, that doesn't mean they're unbeatable, but it's not like the Braves have a huge rotation advantage. Even though, even if the Braves can set up, and it looks like they probably are trying to do this by holding Freed until the weekend, the Braves can use Freed, Wright, and Morton in those games. And normally, that's a huge advantage. But when you're facing Bassett, deGrom, and Scherzer, it's not a huge advantage. So, they're at home. Obviously, the Braves are still very, very live to win those games. But it's not like you're facing a, a bad team over the weekend and you're, and you're just huge favorites. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's going to shake out odds-wise, but I can tell you the Braves will not be a major favorite in any of those games. Maybe the free Bassett game, if that's what happens, they'll be a huge favorite. But like Scherzer-Morton is probably advantage uh, Mets, even on the road. DeGrom and Wright. I mean, DeGrom is better than Wright. It's in Atlanta. Who knows? But anyway, those are going to be huge games. We don't tell you anything that, we, that you, you don't already know. But uh, nothing matters if you lose these three games in Washington. You know, the Braves could realistically be drawing dead, basically, in the division by Thursday if they get swept in Washington. Now, they're, not, they're probably not going to happen because they shouldn't do that. But, like, these games matter. They have to win these games in Washington first. Yeah. They need, as you said, minimum two wins at least. I mean, three would be great. Uh, New York. <laughs> yes, it would. Yeah, New York is playing uh, – yeah, Captain Obvious. Uh, New York is playing the Marlins, I believe. I think New York is going to see 
Lizardo and Pablo Lopez, who are yep. both like competent, like they're, they're capable of throwing seven shutout innings if everything is going right. Um, so it's not like you're you're just hoping on a miracle with with those two games. And maybe our friends, the fish, who actually said goodbye to Don Mattingly. It was reported today that um, everybody's least favorite manager is no longer going to be the team's manager anymore next year, which is, I think, a good thing. Uh, you love you love Don Mattingly. No, I mean, we should also actually a good reminder of something that I haven't said out loud on this particular podcast. Um, there's been this feeling that that was the last series of the year in the Mets series. And, it, and it's not the Braves still have to go to Miami after that. So like, yep. even, even if they climb the mountaintop and sweep the Mets and take the division lead, they got three more games to play and they're on the road to Miami. And like, yeah, you're better than the mountain than the Marlins, but then the Mets have the nationals at home at the end of the, at the end of the, at the end of the uh, schedule. So that's advantage Mets too. So even if the Braves were to, let's say, take a one game lead at the end of Sunday, uh, nothing is assured at that point. So, to our point repeatedly, they got to win all these games. They got nine. They got nine left. Um, if I had to guess right now, I'm gonna put this to you too, Scott. Um, if you had to guess how many wins it will take for the Braves to win the division, either by tiebreaker or by one game advantage or two game advantage or whatever it's gonna be, how many wins do you think it takes? And how and how many of those are against Ooh. the best is actually part. It's probably part part of this too. I was going to say, you're asking me to do math, which was never good. Uh, well, well, they have nine left, Scott. You could just you can pick a number between uh, between zero and nine. Uh, on that. You know, it's tough to say. I mean, if I say they need to go seven and two, but if those two losses are heads up with New York, then that's not going to be good. That, enough. Yeah, that changes it. I mean, eight Agreed. and one was my first thought. If they can go eight and one, even if they lose one of those games to New York, um, it's just it's just a bummer that the tiebreaker is going to the Mets unless the Braves sweep. And and the Braves could sweep. I mean, uh, we've talked about how good DeGrom and Scherzer are. Uh, the Mets are 9-8 and eight in games started by those two. 9-8 and eight since they've both been healthy in the rotation. I mean, that that's crazy. Um, you're talking about when everything is right, you know, pound for pound, two of the seven best starting pitchers on planet Earth maybe the one, one with, with DeGrom and they're, they're nine and eight. I mean, who knows the, the way baseball works out, the Braves will lose to Bassett and then beat Scherzer <laughs> and DeGrom. Exactly. Um, but yeah, TNC, I, I think if they can go eight and one, that would give them 103 wins. Even if they lose one to New York and don't have the tiebreaker, I think that would be enough. I'm hoping the Marlins show up and Miami has played the Mets decently well this year, but um yeah, and again, man, like we want to win the division. There are a lot of benefits to do it. But if the Braves don't win the division, who's to say that they couldn't win a very short best of three at home against Philly or San Diego, both teams who have significant flaws and have not played super well over the last month. And, and then, uh, you know, you and I were talking beforehand, you know, the Dodgers would be then looming, um, but it might almost be better to try to have to beat LA in a best of five instead of a best of seven. You're talking about a shorter series where, as we know, things are kind of funny. Um, You know, if you only have to win three out of five against LA, who is a very good team um, that that can happen. And and the Braves could beat LA in a best of seven as well. Um, But I, I, I think because this division race has been so intense now for four months, 
I almost wonder if we're losing sight of the big picture a little bit. Uh, and that is that this season is ultimately going to get determined by how the Braves fare in October. Yeah, you're absolutely right, obviously. And, you know, we've said it a number of times, but just to kind of round this out, this is a team that has 95 wins already. That's seven more wins than last year's team with nine games to go. One more time. They have seven more wins this year than last year's World Series winning team, and they have nine more games remaining. They might win 13, 14, 15 more games than last year's team. Um, Very likely at this point, the Braves will have their most wins since 2003, and they have a chance to go back, go go past that number. So like, this is a really good baseball team. If they don't win the division, that's not going to be any, any different. And your point about the Dodgers is a good one because the math would tell you not to go way down this rabbit hole, but the math would definitely tell you that when you have a team like the Dodgers who are number one in the national league and run scored and runs allowed, they have double the run differential of any other team. They are the prohibitive favorite in the national league. No matter what you think about the Dodgers, they are the best team in the league this year by every metric. Yeah. The math would tell you that your best chance to beat them is in a short series, because if you are the team is projected to not be as good as your opponent, you want variance. You want less games. That's why in a lot of ways, I don't like the short baseball playoffs and we talked about this a lot on the podcast because if you're better than your opponent, you should want more games than your opponent. And you shouldn't have to play these short series against your opponents. But alas, to your point there, I think you're right about that, that short series thing. So there are pros and cons to all of it. But uh, yeah, they're going to the playoffs. The Braves had a good week overall, despite the weird hiccup in the middle. They still won more than they lost. They clinched the playoff spot and they're on their way to 100 wins. It's not been so bad after all, Scott, especially after the uh, hideous start of the season. It's crazy yeah. still to remember, like, this is a sub-500 oh, yeah. team until what, until, until what, like July? <laughs> it was, uh, uh, so yeah, they've been awesome since then. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you would have told me, I like to think the turning point was that uh, game on, I believe, May 31st or maybe June 1st in Arizona. Your, ho- your, ho- your, ho- your home state, baby. Turn, turn the, the season. The one and only game I have been in attendance for this year was probably the worst loss. I mean, it was just a horrendous loss. Eight, eight to I, seven, 10 innings, May 31st. Yes. Yep. And the next day was, uh, we kind of laughed at it at the time, but then the next morning, uh, the team had a players only meeting. I think it was kind of a a come to Jesus moment for a lot of, of the guys in that locker room. And they, like, won, man, and they won 14 in a row. After that. They did. They won 14 <laughs> straight. They, yeah, if, if they don't have the best record in the league since then at very worst, they are top three. Um, and they, they've been really good. So again, man, we we've said it a few times. Now you want to win the division. You want to beat the Mets, especially with just how renewed that rivalry is. Um, but either way, the Braves are in the playoffs. Uh, there, there's no guarantees in October matchups and just flukiness. I mean, you get lucky with a couple of bounces and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're making a deep run. Um, and as, as we know, the, the favorite or the better team does not always win this time of year. Um, and, and the Braves are a really good club. I mean, there's depth, especially if they can get Spencer Strider back healthy at some point, the rotation is built for October. Um, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. For sure. All right, Scott, we've run the gamut as we often do on the show, but I appreciate you being here with me as always. We have covered a lot of ground. The Braves still have a week and a half to go. We'll be here all the way through, including next week. By the way, the Sunday night game 
sorry, the Sunday game is a night game against the Mets. So that'll be a very late night episode of the show post Sunday night baseball, et cetera. But we'll still be here as always. And like I said, at the very beginning of the podcast, we have uh, four different podcasts in one. And generally speaking, we're doing like seven or eight episodes a week on this feed. So it's been very, very busy. And please subscribe to the show. Scott, anything to plug? Anything else you want to share about your Indianapolis Colts or your Arizona Wildcats? Anything else you want to share? Go ahead. No, just thanks, everybody. Uh, we really do appreciate the continued support. Uh, it's always fun to do these again, man. Like there were some dark times during those Braves rebuild years. And this team is just really, really good. It's a lot of fun. Uh, usually Brad, it feels like every time you and I do one of these podcasts, it's a Sunday, which usually means it's a day game, which usually means the Braves have lost. So it was nice to be able to do one of these after a win. Uh, hopefully the Braves keep it rolling, keep the good vibes up in Washington and and give yourself a chance against uh, New York. We'll see how the next few days play out. But again, we really do appreciate all of the support. We will be here uh, throughout the rest of the regular season. And then once playoffs start, we'll be here every night as we did last year. Um, and uh, it'd be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend if you have a Braves fan in your life that is not listening to the podcast, at least put it in front of them. If they hate it, that's okay. Uh, but give, have them give us a chance. Uh, ratings, reviews, all that fun stuff. Follow Scott on Twitter at ScottColin55. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to at BT Roland and follow the show slash network at BatteryPowerSBN. Also, please read all the written content at BatteryPower.com. Chris Willis, our fearless leader, is uh, curating all of that for you, and it's fantastic as well. So please check out all of that stuff. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.